Your news, your views, your values. This is WMNF Tampa 88.5 FM. Here comes the sun. Here comes the sun. I say. Hello and welcome to the Sustainable Living Show on WMNF Tampa 88.5, where every Monday at 11 we bring you a conversation with experts on sustainable issues. Your hosts today are myself, Kenny Coogan, and the brilliant Annie Ellis. <laughs> Thank you for the recognition. No problem. <laughs> Answering your calls is Clark, and working the boards is Mr. Bill Grace. Today, we are talking about Feather Locklear, Agatha Christie, Michelle Obrama, Selma <laughs> Eggs, Ken Stefani, Attila the Hen, and many more. That's right. It is our annual Raising Chick and Chicken show with special guest Marisa Ames, the editor for Backyard Poultry, Goat Journal, and Backyard Beekeeping Magazines. It's spring here in Florida, and people are thinking about adding chicks to their backyards. Learn tips and tricks for raising backyard poultry. Have questions? Use this show to ask the expert. Stay tuned in as we promote a balance of people, profit, and planet. <laughs> uh, Marissa Ames runs a, a small homestead in Fallon, Nevada, where she uh, focuses on saving and propagating rare poultry and goat breeds. She teaches homesteading skills for her local Grange chapter. Uh, Marissa and her husband, Russ, travel to Africa, where they serve as agriculture advisors for the nonprofit I Am Zambia. It's great. Uh, she spends her free time eating lunch. <laughs> I know, you're a pretty busy lady. <laughs> Welcome to the program, Marissa. Uh, how are you doing today? I'm doing great. It's 8 a.m. here, nice and sunny, and we might actually get rain here in the desert. So, how are you doing? Oh, excellent. We've uh, it, we've had beautiful weather recently, not as hot as normal, and so we're happy about that. And rain, so yay. Um, I, we have uh, so much interest in all this, and I, I love all those names that, that uh, Kenny was throwing around. That's pretty hilarious. Um, did, what type of rare poultry do you uh, have, or what are you currently raising that's in the rare breed, um, Marissa? Currently, I have crevicores. I wanted to do Spanish. Here in Nevada, at least in my area, we have a unique situation where it gets up to 110 in the summer regularly mm. and down to zero in the winter. So I wanted Spanish, but they're, they're not quite cold hardy enough. And there are certain breeds that are not quite heat hardy enough. Mm -hmm. So crevicores seem to be a good combination. They've done pretty well in the winter. Yeah, that's uh, quite an extreme range. That's kind of hard to get anything going, isn't it? For, uh, for it's all a your, challenge, yeah. yeah. All your homesteading, such. Uh, then, what do you uh, like? How does raising chickens help uh, someone? You know, since this is our sustainable living show, how does it help them to become sustainable? Oh boy, there's so many answers to that. Mm -hmm. okay. uh, first of all, you know, of course, you're getting your own protein from your backyard, whether you're um, an omnivore or vegetarian nice protein and you know exactly where it comes from you know exactly what food is going into these eggs and you know exactly how well these chickens are treated you know there's no factory farming when it comes from your own backyard and probably my favorite part is the compost because i'm a large-scale gardener yeah i want to grow as much of my food as possible and if you don't want to be buying chemical fertilizers from the store this chicken manure is the way to go Add into, you know, some compost, some waste from your kitchen, and you can grow just about anything that can survive within your climate. Yeah, that's the, that stuff is gold. 
<laughs> you know, you having their your own uh, fertilized maker uh, animals right there is just uh, perfect. Um, and what, who do you think like? Uh, backyard gardeners or anybody like that, who do you uh, should consider uh, getting chicks this spring? Who do you think? Just regular folks? Or tell us, tell us about that, uh, the average Joe getting chickens. Of course, the first thing you want to look at is whether your community is zoned for chickens. Because there's a whole lot of heartbreak. People go to maybe their local feed store. Uh, they go to the hatcheries. They order these cute baby chicks. They get ready to put them outside at six weeks and they a neighbor complains and they realize the chickens were never legal in their area in the first place. Mm. And by then they fall in love with these babies. Yeah, they're cute. They've built a chicken coop where they've started and they're finding out that no matter how hard they fight, they're just not legal. So that's the very first thing you want to do. A lot of HOAs don't allow chickens. So check with your requirements to see if you can even have chickens. After that, you want enough space. And so, you know, when it comes to factory farming, one of the big complaints is these chickens are cooped up. And we can fall into that hazard as backyard poultry owners as well. Mm -hmm. If you have too many chickens in too small of an area, they are way more susceptible to diseases. Mm -hmm. To they'll, they'll actually cannibalize each other if they're too bored and they don't have enough space. So that would be my second thing is, do you have enough space for the amount of chickens that you want to fit your needs? Yeah. You know, I know that there's a limit. We have a lot of uh, ability to have those chickens here. Um, fortunately, they've changed a lot of the laws. And I know that um, there is a certain amount that you're able to have, and you cannot go over it. And you can't have a rooster either in these areas. Uh, so let me do our little reintroduction. I'm Annie Ellis, and you're listening to the Sustainable Living Show on WMNF Tampa 88.5. Today's guest is Marisa, I mispronounced it a while ago, Ames, the editor of Backyard Poultry. We're talking about raising chicks and chickens. And if you have a question for her, please give us a call at 813-239-9663 or send us an email at dj at wmnf.org and we will read it on the air. Hi, Marisa. This is Kenny. And... I've been working with you for many, many years, and I'm so excited that you're on the show. I know you mentioned earlier that, you know, people going to a local feed store to consider purchasing chicks. Can you tell us what are some of the benefits of getting chicks there compared to someone who's breeding them in their backyard? Oh, usually I would say go to that backyard breeder because... If you have um, a backyard breeder who really knows the line that they're breeding, they know exactly what has gone into that chicken. And, you know, if they've been breeding for resistance to any specific diseases. Now, the good thing about those feed stores is for first-time poultry owners, if, you know, if you just want a chicken that lays a whole lot of eggs, that's really what the feed stores specialize in, is those hybrids or those very popular purebreds. They're bred to give you a whole lot of eggs. So they're good for first-timers. And then after you've keep, kept chickens for a couple of years, you realize that you want something more out of your chicken-keeping operation. Perhaps you want to focus on a specific breed. Perhaps you want to save something that's endangered. Perhaps you want olive eggers, and you don't know if the chickens at the feed store will actually lay an olive egg. That's when you want to go to your backyard breeder who really knows what they've been putting into their lines over the years. Very good. Are there 
Can you tell us what the pros and cons are of ordering chicks in the mail from a large, larger organization? The biggest con is those two to three days they're in shipping. Now, chicks, for those first three days of their lives, they are still absorbing that yolk sac that they have from the egg. And so they actually don't need food for three days, but it's three days maximum. And if something happens in shipping and those chicks take longer than three days to get to you, that's the point where they're going to start getting sick and they're going to start dying. I unfortunately had that. I live in a, a very town which only gets one mail truck. And if I had lived an hour away, my chicks would have gotten here a day earlier, but they missed the truck. They got to my house and they were at the very end of that three days. And mm -hmm. within 24 hours, half of them had died mm -hmm. just because of that time frame. So that's something to keep in mind. If you're in a place that has a very nice mail hub, you know, Tampa Bay would be a very good place to order chicks in the mail because they're going to get to you within that time frame to where you, you can still give them those electric, those vitamins, and they'll be just fine. And when people are considering getting chicks, I know that a lot of people are advertising pullets, cockerels, and straight run. Can you tell us what the difference of those are? Oh, that's a good question. People who are new to chickens don't know the, temp the terminology. A pullet is a female, of course, who most likely will never crow, but sometimes things happen, <laughs> who has not yet started laying. A cockerel is a young male. Straight run means whatever hatches goes into the box. And some of the hatcheries, when they sell straight run, they sell what's left over after people have ordered the pullets, the females. So sometimes, depending on the hatchery, you have a higher chance of getting males if you order straight run. If you can only get females, you want to order the pullets and expect to pay a little bit more for them because they have to, their staff have to sex these babies by looking at, you know, where, where the poo comes out to see little differences. And they only have about a one in 10 guarantee. So if you order 10 of them, one of them might be a cockerel. That's about the ratio of the guarantee. But the reputable hatcheries usually reimburse for that cockerel if you happen to get one. You just need to find a place for him to live if you can't have him. So if you're getting chicks from a local breeder and... Like uh, Annie was saying, in a lot of parts of Central Florida, it's illegal to own a rooster. Can you, as a hobbyist or a backyard person, can you look at a day-old chick by, and tell their sex by looking at their behavior or physical features? You can with some of them. There are sex links. Now, sex links are when they breed a specific color of male to a specific color of female. And there are some traits that are only passed down from the male to the sons and the daughters. And so the sons versus the daughters will hatch out different colors. There are only a few hybrid varieties where that works. But if your breeder knows how to breed sex links, then they can take a newly hatched chick, just pluck it right out of the pen, hand it to you and guarantee what gender that is. Wow. Yeah. So they're the same breed, but the boys and the girls are, different so <laughs> as we all exactly. are it's not very many <laughs> their, their feathers are different Annie <laughs> <laughs> okay should or do you believe that day old chicks or young chicks should be getting vaccinations or there are there baby chick diseases that we should be watching out for I'm pro vaccination there are not that many vaccines available for chicks the biggest is Merrick's Merrick's, once your chickens get it, 
they're not getting rid of it. They're going to live or die, and they usually will die. If possible, get your chicks vaccinated from Eric's. A second tidiosis, and not that many places offer this. Uh, basically, it gives them some immunity from the coccidia protozoa, which can kill them pretty fast with diarrhea. That's another option. And then the other vaccinations, I would look at what's endemic in your area. For Florida, I would look at the foul pox vaccine because it's spread by mosquitoes. Oh. Now, here in Nevada, I really don't have a lot of mosquitoes. It's, it's a dry desert, so I'm not going to worry about it here. But if there are mosquitoes, and if you do have foul pox in your community, I would also get that vaccination. So that's called the foul pox vaccine? Correct. Okay. And Merrick's is spelled M-A-R-E-K-S, Merrick's disease. Now, this is like a little side note. This isn't really about chicks or baby animals, but I do know that a high school that has an agriculture program about a mile away from my homestead, they had chicks and turkeys, and all of them were infected with Merrick's disease. You know, you, you could see their signs I had these growths on their face and deformed legs and wings. Should me as a backyard hobbyist, should I be concerned about those animals that are only a mile away from my house? Oh, absolutely, because of wild birds. Most of the diseases that chickens get, if they're not spread through the mosquitoes themselves, like fowl pox, are spread by wild birds. So this avian flu that people are having a problem with is because of wild birds bringing the disease in. So it's easy for a wild bird to travel one mile from that operation with Merrick's disease over to your homestead. And even if you have your chickens housed in a coop, the bird just has to sit on top and poo into the water and your chickens are infected. Wow. Yeah. I, t- I told them about that. Yeah, I bet <laughs> you did. I was concerned. Uh-huh. Uh, um, so I am Kenny Coogan and you're listening to the Sustainable Living Show on WMNF. Tampa 88.5. Today's guest is Marisa Ames, the editor of Backyard Poultry. We're talking about raising chicks and chickens this spring. If you have a question for her, give us a call at 813-239-9663 or send us an email at dj at wmnf.org and we will read it on air. And like I mentioned earlier, she's the editor of Backyard Poultry and one of my favorite Parts of the magazine is in the front where it says Ask the Expert, where Marisa and an extension office person answers questions from uh, readers. And I want listeners to take this opportunity to ask the expert. And we do have a phone call from Steve in Largo. Hi, Steve. Welcome to the show. Yeah. And uh, thank you for having the show and having the expert. Um, This might be kind of an unusual question. So um, I'm a vegan, um, but not religiously. And, um, you know, I don't eat anything that comes from animals. And so I'm wondering, um, in making, in doing chicken raising and stuff, is it like, how much is it like what they do to female cows, where they force impregnate them, and then they gestate forever? I know there's not going to be all obvious parallels because it's a cow versus a chicken but and there's an egg versus but do they how exploitive is it to do this to the chickens um and is it impacting native species uh like you were talking about wild birds and stuff but the wild birds are probably native here but 
like in other words, if someone is concerned about the ethics of how the chickens are treated, um, you what are they being having their eggs stolen from them to induce more eggs to be made? In other words, yeah, that's a great question. Top down, non consensual relationship <laughs> where the chickens are exploited yeah. and the humans benefit. And the chickens get fed, but then they get killed at the end. There's one last thing I want to say. There's just been some recent studies showing the chickens are not stupid. They have feelings. They have memory. They have family groupings. They have social structure. So how ethical is all of this? Thanks, Steve, for the question. Thank you. Marisa? This is... This is an amazing question. And one really thing is. I'd like to point out, first of all, with backyard poultry, we have a writer. Her name is Tamsin Cooper, and she follows all the latest studies on animal research. And she has written quite a few stories for us specifically on that, of how chickens think, how they feel, how they're happiest. And it really brings to mind that chickens are these sentient beings. And yes, they're very capable of being exploited if we don't do it right. But the more we learn about how these chickens actually think and feel, the better we're able to give them a, a compassionate life, the best possible. Now, if you're going to buy any chicken from the store, assume that those chickens are highly exploited. For to keep them laying, they will give them the wrong type of light. They'll they'll force molt. They will give them the worst feed possible. I think. Pretty much anybody who has any kind of agricultural education will agree that factory farm chickens are the most exploited if you have an option where you can buy your eggs or your chicken meat from a backyard breeder. Now, past that, so let's see. Talk about the artificial insemination point. Now, breeders don't need to do that. Number one, because chickens are more than willing to do it themselves. When it comes to turkeys, the broad-breasted turkeys do have to be artificially inseminated because their breasts are too large. That's not the case with chickens, not even the meat chickens, because they breed two chickens that are capable of breeding by themselves to get that meat chicken. And so as far as any artificial insemination, that's one you don't need to worry Being forced to lay eggs in a backyard setting, some people do put light in the coops, to keep chickens laying through the winter in areas where the daylight hours decrease in the winter. For instance, in my area, well, I don't keep a coop in my, a light in my chicken coop because I want my chickens to have a break. We all need a break. Yes. But people who live in perhaps Minnesota, they want to keep those eggs flowing. They don't want to buy the eggs. They will put the light in their coop. And I'm careful as I speak about this because quite a few people are dedicated to doing this. But it does keep those chickens from getting that seasonal break. And we all have the seasonal sleep for a reason in the wintertime. We really do need it. I know. I do. Another thing that... Um, <laughs> no, go ahead. <laughs> sorry. <laughs> and another thing that people think they can do is feed certain things to the chickens to make them lay more eggs. Now, this is a huge misconception. Certain breeds do lay more. A chicken cannot possibly lay more eggs than she will when she is at optimal health. So if you do everything right, feed your chicken the best food possible, give her the best daylight possible, you keep her completely free from diseases, she will not lay more eggs than her body is bred to do. Mm -hmm. So if you get a leghorn, you might be getting 300 eggs a year, at optimal health. If you get a Brahma chicken, you might getting one, be getting 100 eggs a year at optimal health. Okay. Let's see, we're addressing 
if chickens can harm native species. Now, there are some poultry that are harming native species, like the Egyptian goose. From what I've heard, they're, they're pretty rampant in Florida. They're taking over the lakes and the rivers. And that isn't happening through much of the nation, but you have an ecosystem where this is possible for these Egyptian geese to just take over the place. There are also places where chickens during hurricanes have, they've been broken out of their coops and they're running wild. It's definitely the responsibility of the chicken owner to keep this from happening. One, so that the chickens do not take over the ecosystem. And two, because those chickens that are running loose are not getting veterinary care. And so if they have parasites, if they have illnesses, there's nobody to keep those illnesses from spreading. So they may think they're living the best life, eating all the bugs in the world, but they might not have the best health because there's nobody to check in on them. Yeah. Am I answering your questions? Oh, yeah. <laughs> That's great. A lot. To, to go back to the, like, taking their babies, in the spring and the summer, my birds are laying three to five eggs each every week. But because we're in Tampa, or I, at least I am, I'm not allowed to have any male chickens or roosters. So the eggs that they're laying are infertile. So even if the chickens would sit on them, they're not going to turn into baby chicks. Right. So they just naturally are laying an egg every 23 to 25 hours, three to five times a week. That's just their system, as a natural system. Yeah. We do have another caller, and we have Ira from Sarasota. Welcome to the show, Ira. Thanks for having me, and a great show you're having. Thank you. I'm a local chicken tractor builder here in Sarasota. Those are great. And uh, I just wanted to get your take on the chicken tractor to see, you know, like, because you can move them around and it's like a simulated free range with protection. Mm -hmm. Yeah, Mary, so what do you think about chicken tractors? I love chicken tractors. Uh, Chickens do naturally eat grass and they actually eat the worms and the bugs that are beneath the grass. And if you keep them in one place, I've already addressed that a lot of behavioral issues happen because the chickens are just and they're bored. A chicken tractor allows them to escape their regular confines so that they can roam, but roam safely because it has the cage and the wires to keep predators from just coming in and plucking them out, whether it's somebody's loose dog or whether it's a coyote or whether it's a hawk. But at the same time, they get the smorgasbord of grass you've allowed them to have. So if possible, if you have the grass and the feed in the area to let your chickens roam in a chicken tractor, it's one of the best things that you can do for them, even the happiest. I wanted to just say, because not everybody knows what a chicken tractor is, uh, that is a box on wheels, basically a chicken a hen house that uh, you can move it from different parts of the green space, and then they can have fresh grass and all the bugs that you were talking about. Uh, and so then it also fertilizes each area. Uh, so that's a, a wonderful thing. But not everybody knows what a chicken tractor is, so that's what it is. Ira, how big are your chicken tractors? How many birds can they hold? Uh, well, I did it with the city of Sarasota, so we mm-hmm. wanted to have a four square foot per bird at the minimum. And so I labeled my chicken tractors, you know, like the four to six, which will hold four to six hens mm-hmm. comfortably with a four square foot per bird. I made them two stories so that they, oh. they're triangle shaped, so like an A-frame. And then, uh, you know, the roosting and at night and the egg laying happens on the second floor. And then during the day, they're down on the ground, uh, you know, pecking and scratching like they like to do. 
And then it just offers them protection from the sun because the housing is above it, giving them some shade. Mm -hmm. And then it keeps any predators from getting them. Ira, in Sarasota, uh, is the city promoting raising backyard chickens? Oh, yes. Yeah. Sarasota, we, we worked together with the city, I think that was like 10 years ago, and we got it approved. And, it, and they want it to be kind of a movable unit just because if a neighbor complains on one side, you can move it to the other side. <laughs> to get the other neighbor mad. <laughs> <laughs> but it, it does things, too, like... Um, you know, on the in the winter time, I can move it. You know, to the sunnier side oh, of the sure. house. In, in, the, in the summertime, I can keep it in the shade. And then, uh, I built it to kind of fit, like in the back of a truck or a trailer. Oh, that's and then, nice. You know, you, people can take it to their relatives or friends. Mm -hmm. They got to go on vacation. And oh, just, that's a great idea! So if they go on vacation, they can move the whole coop to someone's house and take it. That is brilliant! I didn't. Or take about the that. chickens with them, and they can have fresh eggs while they're on vacation. <laughs> the camping the love the vacation. is our camping chickens, <laughs> right? You could take the chickens to the Grand Canyon. <laughs> yes, they could get the view. You know, they have their own selfies. That would be great. Thank, yeah. <laughs> thank you, Ira, for calling. Thank you. And we have another caller. We have uh, Jenny from Tampa. Hi, oh, Jenny. Oh, Jenny Thomas. <laughs> Yay. Hi, Jenny. Hi, how are you guys today? Good, good. Jenny has uh, chickens and these beautiful ducks that I wanted. That she has such a great system in her yard. Talk about that, Jenny. I'm so happy you they're, called. They're, they're geese, my dear. Geese. I, I always say that, right? You have to correct me every time. And tell them what kind they are because they're beautiful. So they're Sebastopol geese, um, and yeah. so I live on the river, so it's an, an op opportunity for them to interact with, with the water. My question kind of comes from, obviously, there's a lot of avian influenza that's happening up north, and there's mm -hmm. some concern that it's moving south. And because I live on the water, we also have a lot of wild ducks um, that come into my yard um, and, and enter some of my chicken enclosures. So what is the realistic fear that we have going forward with some of the, the avian influenza and what do we need to look out for? It's extremely realistic. We recently had a study that um, we published on our website, on our Back Your Poultry Magazine website, and it's free for everyone to read. And it talks about this specific strain of avian influenza and what poultry owners need to know. And one thing I want to emphasize is, number one, it's usually spread from wild birds, specifically wild waterfowl, but wild, wild waterfowl usually do not show symptoms. Mm. And so those waterfowl that are with your beautiful Sebastopol geese, one of my favorites, could be passing influenza onto them, but you're oh. not going to see the symptoms in these wild birds. And it's spreading like crazy to most areas of the United States right now. So I would, you know, at least until this dies down, if possible, keep your geese a little bit closer to your house, maybe pen them up, give them a water source that they can splash around in this close to your home where the wild water have access well, to them. It's, they're in their breeding season, so they're quarantined anyways because they're a little jerky to everybody else. <laughs> <laughs> <Okay>. People included. <laughs> they bite me every time. <laughs> Until June or July, they, they are quarantined, and I, and I am finding that the – but the, I have an issue is I let my chickens out free-ranging every day because I live on a half an acre, and my, I find that my chickens don't eat my chicken food, 
you know, the very expensive chicken food that you get them. <laughs> but the wild ducks are in eating the chicken food all the time. So it's, it's a constant battle um, with just the fears of that, um, of, of what to do. And I guess really the answer is, I guess, pray. <laughs> so they're eating the chicken food. Would that infect them? Uh, the ch- any other animals that are eating that food? If they're the wild ducks are eating the chicken food, would they be passing on that disease that way? Marisa? Oh, they very easily could be. Not only are they defecating in the area where the chickens are walking, right? But if any of the virus is spreading through oral nasal secretions, their mouth is going right where the mouth of the chicken is going to yeah. be going. Yeah. Would uh, just getting a, a inoculation, some type of a, a, a something to prevent that, or vaccine of some sort, would that be smart or would that help? Or what? what's the story on that? The problem with an avian, avian influenza virus is it's constantly mutating. Mm. And so, so far, there success in getting vaccinations for the strains that are going around and killing our chickens. And so the best thing you can do is biosecurity to just keep these wild birds away from your chickens as much as possible. Right. You're going to have to get a net. I know that that up north, and they've canceled a lot of poultry shows, and it's definitely spreading much much more quickly. Do we have any insight as to, and maybe Kenny, maybe you've been watching it better, how much are we at risk in the Tampa Bay area right now? Uh, Marisa, do you want to, do you have any insight Um, on that? I have not lived in Florida for a long time, but I did live there when I was 10. And I remember just wild birds everywhere. Yeah. Wild waterfowl, ducks on the rivers, ducks on the lakes. I would say you're at a pretty good risk. If avian influenza is not there yet, it's going to go there very soon. Mm. And the, getting the vaccine is just like us. It, it doesn't hit the one that they guessed it was going to work on. It's not going to work. Right? I mean, you said it's mutated. Yes, exactly. The virus has just mutated too much. Right. Right. Wow. Oh. You, you get a pool cage. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, pretty much. Just keep those chickens, keep those ducks close to home as much as possible. Uh, thanks, Jenny, for calling. Thanks, Thank Jenny. You. Have a great day. See you soon. I am Kenny Coogan, and you're listening to The Sustainable Living Show on WMNF Tampa 88.5. Today's guest is Marisa Ames, the editor of Backyard Poultry Magazine. We're talking about raising chicks and chickens. If you have questions for her, give us a call at 813-239-9663 or send us an email at dj at wmnf.org, and we will read it on air. And we do have one email from... David. He says, a few years back, I was surprised to see that Tractor Supply Company store in Bartow was selling chicks. I realized later that it was because Easter was coming and that the company only sells chicks before Easter, but not the rest of the year. Mm. What does your guest think about this? It seems more like an impulsive buy versus a legitimate effort to raise backyard chickens. And I will, uh, Marisa, of course, you can comment, but I will say that there's a couple of other tractor supplies now in North Tampa, and they do sell chicks year-round now, except for maybe like December. So, uh, Marisa, I do want to spend the rest of the show talking about how to raise chicks properly. I don't want to scare listeners off by saying that yeah. all of these birds are infected with avian influenza because there are a lot of benefits. But, Marisa, what do you think about like a big feed store selling chicks? If the chicks are sold for the intention just of making the child happy at Easter, 
you know, you can guess my opinions on that one. If you don't know how to raise your chicks well from the start, please rethink getting... Now, the good thing is there's tons of information out there. It is really easy to learn, but you need to have that commitment from the start to give them the heat they need, the feed that they need, and to make sure it's a commitment where a chicken can live for 10 years. If you're not ready for this chicken to be a family member, even if it's an outside family member for 10 years, rethink getting these baby chicks because an animal can go through a whole lot of suffering if people are slow to learn just how to take care of them. And uh, earlier I was mentioning that my chicks lay three to five eggs a week, and they're between the ages of two and five. My neighbor has a chicken that's like 11 or 12 years old, and she gets really excited because it lays like one to three eggs a year. Wow. She's very proud of that. Are they really big eggs? <laughs> well, it's an old chicken, so uh, she's, she's still keeping She's kicking. Her. Yeah. We have a call from Julia in Tampa. Hi, Julia. Hi. Um, I walk a lot, and I sometimes like walk two and three, four miles um, to get to some place. And I walked one day from where I lived down to one of the libraries, which was about a two-hour walk. And I did not see one live bird. I saw one bird on the way back that was dead. And I've noticed that it seems like the birds in the Tampa area are disappearing. And I, I, I read something somewhere maybe a couple of months ago about some kind of incident where the birds are dying all across the country. And I'm wondering, could what's caused this? Is it it could be the 5G and 6G towers and things that they're putting up, and they have them disguised to look like trees. And I'm wondering if that might be impacting them. Um, did, do you have a sense about might be going on? Thanks, Julia. Marisa, I know your expertise is in livestock and poultry and homesteading. Do you have any insight on why wild bird populations are declining around the country? I would say humans are the number one reason, but I wouldn't say it's 5G or power lines or anything like that, because even though those have been evolving, the birds have been doing pretty well. The biggest reason that wild birds are declining is people who keep cats. Right. Feral cats or yes. out, outdoor cats. Number one killer. If your cats are allowed to have access to these wild birds, then they're increase the population quite a bit. And another reason is because we're building so much that we're encroaching on the wild birds' habitat, mm -hmm. disrupting where they live. So I would say those are two top reasons that they are declining. Okay, but we have had cats around for centuries, okay? And I, I don't want to see the cats blamed for something that might be caused by humans. It could be like air pollution or something. Something I think is more at work than just the cats because the cats and birds have been squaring off for a really long time. It's the number one killer in the world. Well, they're saying that, but I'm not sure that's it. Okay. But okay, if, you know, I just wanted to see if you had any kind of insight, you know, into what was going on with the birds. Okay. Thanks, Julia. They run into windows, too, uh, a lot. So you can uh, decal windows and any kind of glass surface. They do that a lot. It happened at my parents' house until they did that. The American Bird Conservancy says that outdoor cats kill 2.4 billion birds every year. Yeah, it's a biggie. So that's a big number. So, Marisa, can you tell us, it's springtime, we don't want people to impulsively buy chicks and ducklings, but can you tell us 
if the family has had a, if everyone in the family is on board and they want to start raising chicks or ducklings this spring, can you tell us what a brooder is and how do people in Central Florida begin their journey with these young birds? Oh, absolutely. A brooder is a pen that mimics the mother hen as much as possible. And the very most important thing in a brooder is the heat. A newly hatched chick needs a constant temperature at 95 degrees Fahrenheit. Now, the chick gets it from the mom by snuggling in the feathers. If your ambient temperature is not regularly 95 degrees Fahrenheit, then you need to supply that heat, whether through a heat lamp or they have what's called a brooder plate, which is much, much safer where the chickens just go underneath when they get cold, come out when they get warm. And every week you can decrease that temperature by five degrees until the chickens are fully feathered, which is at about six weeks old. And then at that time, you can turn off the heat, even if it's 30 degrees Fahrenheit in your ambient temperature. On top of that, you need a clean environment to protect this chick from coccidiosis, which is the protozoa that spreads in the poo of wild birds and in the poo of existing chickens that may have immunity coccidiosis, but still have it going through their systems. For that, you want clean bedding. Pine shavings is usually the most popular. There are quite a few other shavings like wood pellets. You want sanitized waters where you know that the water that you put in these waters is clean and that you can scrub out regularly. And then, of course, you're going to need the food for the chicks. And there are two types of food. There's medicated and non-medicated. Now, if your chicks have not been vaccinated for coccidiosis, I would recommend medicated feed because it has just enough medication to keep those coccidia levels from killing the chick. If they are vaccinated, then feeding them medicated feed will basically negate the vaccination, just wipe it back down to zero as if they were never vaccinated. Mm. If you're raising waterfowl in the same brooder, do not get medicated feed. The reason why this the medicated feed works is these protozoa, these coccidia, need high levels of niacin. And so the medicated feed keeps that niacin from going through the body's system, but waterfowl also need high levels of niacin. And you don't need to worry about coccidia nearly as much. <coughs> so the medicated feed or non-medicated, depending on whether or not your chicks are vaccinated or they're living with waterfowl, clean waterers, clean bedding, and the heat. And the best way to tell if you have heat is, are your chickens happy? Are they walking around? Are they eating? Are they scratching in the bedding? If they're panting, it's too hot. If they're huddled together, it's too cold. Mm -hmm. So if you pay attention to what a happy chick looks like, that's exploring, that's cheeping, that's not in any distress, then you know that you have the temperature right. That makes so much sense, uh, paying attention just at, on any level like that. Uh, everything is, if you just are really looking for it, <clears throat> you're going to get the answers. They're going to tell you what they need. Uh, I wanted to just tell this little story before I ask you another question. My friend Joe in uh, Ebor City, there's a ton of, they abandon chickens there all the time. Uh, and there's supposedly, you know, some chickens that were original to the area. And that's debatable. But the point is, is that there's a lot of chickens, there's a lot of Rooster's there, and he lives right there in Ebor City. Lately, uh, this one chicken has been getting up on one of the chairs on the uh, on the uh, porch and laying him an egg every day. 
<laughs> it's like a payment for sitting in his chair. I just love that. Uh, and it was, I, I don't know, just related to the guy that was calling earlier about the ethical, uh, you know, value of having these chickens. And this chicken is giving him an egg for letting him sit in his chair uh, overnight. And it's, it's just a, it's a wonderful thing. We do want to remind listeners that it's against the law to dump chickens yes, in please. Ybor. Yeah. And Tampa's bird sanctuary law prohibits the chickens of Ybor City to be trapped, hurt, maimed, or killed. Yes. And, and, you know, there's a lot of them there, and it's kind of hard on the people that live there. But there, I know a lot of people there that save them and are protecting them, and they put up uh, hanging baskets for their roosting at night and a lot of different things. They, people are really trying there. There's an entire uh, society, the oh, yeah. Ybor Chicken Society. I, there's, there's two of them, <laughs> actually. <laughs> uh, and I, So I have a question, though, because we were talking about ducks and chickens and all that sort of thing. And, you know, it seems conflicting, uh, but I don't know that because I don't do this, you know. Uh, but it, should you raise ducklings and chicks together or would that not work? Marisa. It works for the most part if you follow certain rules. Now, okay. I did talk about not giving them medicated feet. Right. The niacin. So, if you, yes, mm-hmm. if you are going to raise ducks and chicks in the same brooder, if possible, I would recommend getting your chicks vaccinated for coccidiosis. That way, you don't need to worry about medicated feet and you don't need to worry about the coccidia. Number two is ducks being waterfowl, they're just sloppy. They will get <laughs> in the water, they'll splash around, they drink more, which means they poo more. You're going to need to change the bedding a whole lot more often if you keep them in the same brooder. Okay. And one thing I did when I kept ducks and chicks in the same brooder was I put marbles in the water. That way they could get their little beaks in, they could drink just fine, but the ducks couldn't get in and splash around and soak the chicks. That's because very if the baby smart. chicks get wet, they're going to get chilled and they're they're most likely going to die. Okay, so you just put a little obstacle in there for them. That's a great exactly. idea. That's a great idea. So um, what do you feed? Is the baby poultry a certain uh, food that you give them? And there's a, is there a length of time, you know, uh, before you, you know, get them on the other kind of feed for adults? What is that? No, you should never give layer feed to a baby chick. Mm-hmm. And the reason why is there's calcium to put out that daily eggshell it's too much for the kidneys of a bird that is not laying eggs. And this actually includes roosters. A lot of people will feed laying feed to their roosters, not realizing oh. the kind of kidney damage that's going on. Yeah. So you always want to get chick feed and not layer feed. There are other options. One is called a grower. This is a high protein feed that does not have those high levels of calcium. Some people will feed the grower when they have a mixed flock of chicks, ducks, mm-hmm. Because it does have higher protein that these wilder birds need. Yeah, that makes it sense. It also needs to be a small size, which is why you get that chick crumble. So the larger pelletized sizes may not be able to fit in the baby chick's mouth. Okay. So in general, if you have chicks, you should be getting a chick food. Again, you know, vaccinated, non-vaccinated for medicated. Depends on where you got your chicks and if they're vaccinated. But try to get this chick food. It's formulated with the right protein levels calcium levels for this growing baby to keep it as healthy as possible. And then it's crushed in the right grain texture to be able for them to assimilate, correct? Yes, exactly. Okay, that's great. Uh, so is there are any treats? You know, these are like pets, really, aren't they? I mean, half the time, at least half the time. Uh, is there Are there any treats that you can give uh, our baby birds or our, our older birds? 
The great thing about birds is their digestive systems are evolved in that they hatch, that they can eat the same things that the adults eat. So a mealworm that an adult chicken would enjoy, you could crunch it up a little bit and you can give that to a baby chick. Okay. Grains of rice are good. Mm-hmm. Little bits of lettuce chopped up. One thing to keep in mind is that the chick food should constitute most of their diet because it's balanced. It's exactly what anything else you offer is going to knock off the balance of their diet. So just try to keep it that as a treat. It's just like everything. Maybe put some too much ice cream is not going to work. Although I'd like it every day, it's not going to work for me. (laughs) And chickens, they can get metabolic conditions just like humans can. Not the same conditions, but. One of the number one causes of death in laying hens is fatty, hemorrhagic fatty liver disease. And that's basically when they have so much fat in their bodies that their liver herniates. Oh, my goodness. I, I never thought about that. Uh, that's, that's, from, that's from loving your chickens too much. <laughs> too many treats. I think we have a phone call over here. We do. And okay. it is Lisa from the Sustainable Living oh, Show events hey, team. Hi there. How are you guys doing? Great, great. Learning new things. Yeah, I'm calling in for some events for this next week. So uh, on Saturday, there is an event at uh, Macintosh Seedlings Animal uh, and you're talking about chickens. Annual garden show and sale. Uh, this Saturday from 8 a.m. to 4 p.m. And I said it's the 17th annual garden show and plant sale. And it's going to be uh, going to have all sorts of vendors. And it's going to be at the Macintosh Community Center. Mm-hmm. And there's going to be activities for children, live music, and food available. And then the next event, let me open it up. Hold on one second. Okay. Uh, the next event is going to be on Sunday. It's, there's a... Um, Sustainable Living Project. It's going to be a plant sale pop-up, and that's in Tampa. And it says that the uh, a game show tropical, oh, sorry, <laughs> game show. Come shop tropical and rare house plants and carnivorous plants while supporting the Sustainable Living Project. Yeah, I think Kenny's uh, going to be there. Yeah, that's yeah. right. And there's on Monday, so this, we have like three events right in a row, Saturday, Sunday, and then on Monday we have the Sustainable Urban Agriculture Coalition. Uh, that is virtual and uh, also now in person at the Enoch Davis Center. Mm-hmm. And uh, this week is going to be, sorry, this next week is going to be a really neat uh, topic. It's going to be uh, organic landscaping for agritourism. And that's going to be uh, Maggie Jensen. from. Uh, she's an organic edible gardener, designer, and consultant. We'll be giving a presentation geared toward edible gardeners and small farms who want to improve their visitor experience through landscape design. She's going to cover the basics of design from the organic and sustainable perspective. So those are some uh, great events in the next seven days coming up, and I'm sure there's more out there. And uh, so thank you so much for having me on. Thank you so much, Lisa. I guess we just put our ear to the ground for the rest of it, right? That's right. Yeah, so, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so next, next Monday, I, I, there's a bunch more that are coming up in the following week. that just decided to, to stick with the Yeah, that good. was good. Because <laughs> we there's a lot coming up. I know our garden show is going to have our big tour uh, coming oh, up on yeah. April I mean, the 10th. That's a biggie. 30th right. annual. Uh, Earth Earth Month is April. Is That's gonna right. Be oh, wow. Thing. So we're going to we're gonna have some uh, big week uh, next week. Okay. <laughs> Thanks, Lisa. Thanks. And for listeners, you can visit our Facebook page, the Sustainable Living Show, WMNF. 
and all of the events are listed there. And we can tell by your smile on your face that you're enjoying the show and you're wondering how you can show your support. Just go to the website WMNF.org and click on the tip jar at the top of the screen. Be sure to direct your donation to SUL Sustainable Living. And it will be borderline narcissism, how much you will love yourself for supporting WMNF Tampa. <laughs> so, uh, Marisa, we only have about seven minutes left, and I want to put a little emphasis on sustainability. Sustainability is defined as a balance of people, profit, and planet. So, Marisa, we mentioned earlier about like the large-scale chicken operations. Can you tell us how does raising chickens help people save money? When it comes to buying those factory farmed eggs versus raising chickens, you're not going to save money. <laughs> but that's not the point. If you I can get this. a dozen <laughs> eggs for 99 cents, you're not going to save money by raising your own chickens. But you are going to know exactly where those eggs come from. Yeah. And you are going to know that these chickens have a healthy life yeah. and the happiest life possible. But it also builds a community. And that's one thing I love is when somebody starts keeping chickens they increase their education about sustainable living and then they want to garden and then they want to share the eggs with the neighbors and then the neighbors want to garden and it creates an entire community of people that just want to go further and further into sustainable living and it just creates such a much better community and it starts with chickens very good so that definitely talks with the profit and the people aspect does raising chickens in the backyard help with sustainability in the planet at all? I know you mentioned earlier composting. Right. I, I think that any time you can get your food source out of the hands of factory farming, it increases sustainability for the planet, even if it's just one household. Yeah. And also, there, everything's right there. You know, your, your carbon footprint yeah. is so reduced just on that level that everything's right there. Uh, so you're not even moving from your own property and you're creating I your own I fertilizer. spent five hours yesterday building a six-foot-tall compost heap for my garden. And, yeah. you know, the chickens and the chicken bedding, they were integral in that. I haven't purchased fertilizer for at least 10 years exactly. for my garden. And that's when I was learning how to garden. Yeah, until you learned how to make your own. Uh, exactly. and, and then also, too, and uh, you know, you're taking your plants that are done with their life and then you're putting them on top in your compost pile. And then, again, that is of your area so all of that to is communicating you know to each other to make your area specifically better if listeners buy chicks now when can they expect to get eggs from their chicks that depends on the breed that they buy if they buy leghorns which are not my favorite but they're incredible egg producers you can get eggs in about five months about the soonest you can expect is four months. And the, these are your hybrid chickens that are bred specifically for that. It's, are pretty quick to produce eggs. They're in four to six months. If you want a heritage breed, uh, for instance, a Brahma. I had a Brahma that I bought in March, and she didn't lay her first egg until November. Now, I love this chicken. To me, it was worth it to keep her, but... Yeah, she definitely ate more than she gave. <laughs> more of a pet. Yeah. Exactly. So if yeah. you want a lot of eggs, you want to go for leghorns and other Italian breeds or sex links. Those are great. Rhode Island Reds or Bard Rocks are also good. Uh -huh. 
If you want them more as pets, but still a decent amount of eggs, go for Ostelorbs or Buff Orpingtons for them. Six to seven months later, you can start getting your eggs. And if you just want a pet and you don't care about the eggs, I would go for Silkies. I would go for Brahmas and Cochins. They're so You pretty. may not even get 200 eggs a year and it'll take a long time to get them, but you'll have very cuddly chicken. And they're beautiful too. So <laughs> visually you're winning on that one. If people set up a brooder, they have chicks now, should they already have the adult living quarters in place or can they, or do you believe they can wait a couple of weeks and then start building? Well, you have six weeks before those chickens can really leave their brooder. And so honestly, this is how a lot of backyard flocks get started. People fall in love with the chicks, they buy what they need for the brooder at the feed store and they start making plans. It's how, it's probably how most Chicken coops have gotten started as people saying, oh, we have six weeks, we better build something really fast. Mm -hmm. Yeah. In the intro, we mentioned that you volunteer with I Am Zambia, and we just have about a minute left. Can you tell us some of the things that you do when you go to Zambia? Yeah, we're dealing with a community that hasn't learned much farming due to, well, we could really get into it, colonialism, um, people just not having access to the land. And they're stuck in non-sustainable farming methods where they use hybrid seed from the government, where they use fertilizers. And we're going in and we're teaching back non-organic techniques that maybe haven't been used in their area or maybe have been forgotten through the course of life. Mm -hmm. Teaching them how to compost, teaching them how to selectively breed their animals for healthier animals so that they don't have to rely on money that they might not get in order to live. They can do everything on their own property, in their own village, or in the back of their own school. That's very exciting, and I hope that I can volunteer with you one year. That would be great. We would, um, we would love that. All right, I'm serious. Thank you so um, much for being here, Marisa. And I do want to say that Marisa has a promotion, and Marisa, you can announce it on air. What What's going to happen to your editorial position. Oh, yeah, that. <laughs> Your new thing. <laughs> yes. Well, back, it was bought out by Ogden Publications, which owns Mother Earth News. We have half and, a minute. <laughs> if, if you don't know Back Earth Poultry, you know Mother Earth News. Yeah. I am taking over Mother Earth News, and that means I am assigning Carla Tilgman to take over Backyard Poultry. Very good. Nice Congratulations. Yes. I'm still in charge of all of it as far as to ask the expert. <laughs> Thank you so much for being here. We really appreciate it. Thank uh, you for having uh, me. It's a pleasure. If you enjoyed the show and our weekly content, please consider going to WMNF.org, donating through the tip jar, and directing your donation to the Sustainable Living Show. Your donation helps keep us on the air. Stick around for the next hour to hear WMNF Tampa's Monday Music with Flea. If you want to hear more public interest programming, you can switch over to WMNF HD3 channel, the source, to listen to today's Tom Hartman Show live. Tune in next Monday morning at 11 for the next Sustainable Living Show where we'll be talking to Doe Anderson, uh, author of Florida Rivers. Beautiful work. Follow our Facebook page, Sustainable Living WMNF, to stay in the loop. I'm Annie Ellis, and... I'm Kenny Coogan. Remember, if you're looking for someone to save the world, look in the mirror. Yay! Bye! Here comes the sun. Here comes the sun